Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the SmackDown Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Hamplett from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night SmackDown. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review SmackDown but also Money Raw, NXT 2.0, oh. Dynamite, AW Rampage, pay per views. You have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. With a buddy quiz, of course, on WrestleCoach. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet to review Friday night SmackDown. And back to normality in terms of SmackDown, I suppose, Hamlet. Roman Reigns is back, which means areas this show were brilliant. But again, a roller coaster of a show in terms of quality content yet again on Friday night from WWE. Yeah, um, a marginal step back in the right direction, I think, after those like phoned-in FS1 episodes. Uh, it's you mentioned Roman Reigns, and before we came on to record, you talked about a few other things that you thought were like steps in the right direction for SmackDown or for WWE, or you know, just being able to enjoy this show, I guess. But I'm, I don't know, I'm worried. I think worried isn't the word because WWE will be fine, but I think it's worrying if you're a fan of just how vital Roman Reigns is. And this is not a hot take, or this is not new information. But this extends very much to this idea that they haven't really got anybody lined up. The success of Roman Reigns as this long-standing Universal Champion will be a little bit defined by who eventually beats him for it and how successful this is in making the next big star or the next wave of stars that are growing underneath him. And it feels like nobody is. He and he alone made this episode feel bigger, grander and more important than the one the week before. There was a couple of developments, I guess, and you know we'll get into that on this review. But nothing that felt big time, nothing that felt billion-dollar wrestling show unless Roman Reigns was in the mix of it. And it's, you know, this goes back to the conversation we were having after the Brock Lesnar match in Saudi Arabia. What do WWE really have for this coming WrestleMania? What do they have for the next one if The Rock can't do that one either? Um, Roman Reigns is going to smash records because there's nobody, nobody feeling ready to smash him. And it's something that they probably won't address until it's too late. Mm. And by too late, I mean like weeks before the next negotiation rights come up for television fees. Um, but it could do with happening now. It doesn't feel like this show doesn't feel dynamic enough. As half decent as it was in places, it doesn't feel anywhere near dynamic enough to be setting up the next sort of two, three, four big baby faces in line to take over from Roman once he's finally been dethroned. I didn't get like any of that energy that there's much happening elsewhere on SmackDown. 
Uh, well, let's get into it and we'll uh, dissect this show as we go through it. Show started, of course, with Roman Reigns and the rest of the bloodline coming down. Uh, fans chanting, you suck. Pat McAfee saying that they're chanting, thank you, Roman. So he <laughs> very interesting ear for fan chants. Uh, he gets on the mic and says, yeah, I wasn't on SmackDown last week. I was on a vacation because I beat up Brock Lesnar. And that's what you do to celebrate those sorts of things. And he demands that this little no-name town acknowledges him. Huge reaction, of course, from the crowd there. Uh, he says, yeah, he had a great time on vacation. His knob was out. Yeah, all that sort of thing. Um, and he said, oh, Brock didn't have a very good week, though, because he got fined and he got suspended. And then he said, wise man, what else happened last week? And Heyman starts stumbling over his words a little bit, trying to explain how that annoying Kayla Braxton got him a bit carried away. But Reigns wasn't referencing that. He's talking about the Usos losing to the New Day. And he backhanded compliments the New Day. He says, hey, I like you guys. You're, you're entertaining. You're just not better than the bloodline. And then he turns his attention to the Usos who lost that match. He says... How can you lose and call yourself the greatest tag team? Which one of you actually got pinned? And there was a nice spot where they both point at each other. Then it's revealed that Jimmy is the one, of course, who got pinned. Uh, and he says he's going to make it up to Reigns by kicking the crown off King Woods's head and making them acknowledge the tribal chief. This brings out King Woods and Sir Kofi, uh, Sir Kofi, who introduces King Woods to a great reaction. Uh, and Woods talks about the lack of a table being there for him. He said a king sits at a table. He, in fact, sits at the head of the table. And then he should, well, never stop talking about it. Maybe even get branded merch to help you remember. And uh, Kofi laughs and says, well, maybe the uh, island of relevancy is getting pretty lonely, seeing as no one else is allowed there. Um, and then Woods says, there's people in his kingdom right here in Evans Evansville, Indiana, uh, gets a nice reaction. He says, uh, I will accept further people, Jimmy, so you as a challenger. But when you lose, you have to bend the knee to me. And Jimmy, Jimmy gets all fired up saying he won't bend the knee. Uh, he'll, he'll batter him. Jay agrees. And uh, Reigns puts his hand out and Paul Heyman pitches a fit when uh, it takes him a while to get Jay to hand the mic over to Roman. But Roman accepts the challenge on behalf of the bloodline. And there's some Jiminy Uso bollocks that follows. But regardless, we've got the main event set for the evening. I quite like this as a, you know, yes, promo train, usual bollocks. What was the main event going to be prior to that? But yeah, Woods versus, well, sorry, the New Day versus the Usos with Roman Reigns hanging over it. It's what we pitched on the preview, really. Yeah, it's um, it comes with. I mean, you've done it there yourself. It comes with all the usual generous qualifiers about talking about a WWE show and the curve with which we grade it all on. It's this and this and this and this and this. But all of this is really good if you accept this and this and this and this. And I think that was what was happening here. I appreciated a couple of details in this one. I liked um, Woods naming the town when a Roman wouldn't. It's good babyface heel stuff. Woods as this babyface king character that he's trying to be is showing he doesn't see people as peasants he sees them as people that he wants to look after and I, I like that I continue to enjoy them trying to figure out um how to do a king as a babyface because Xavier Woods is the perfect guy to do that because everybody loves him and he just gives you more and more reasons to love him I also for the first time I think ever ever in the history of the Roman this iteration of Roman Reigns that I actually like the terminology, the island of relevancy, because I think that sounds really corny most of the time. But on this show, 
I was allowed to picture the island of relevancy <laughs> as a place where Roman Reigns runs around with his lad out all day, just his just his chap flailing in the breeze. For <laughs> His wife was extremely fine about um, the big dog with the little dog unleashed. And the, the mention of the island, like, desert island dicks. Yes. Uh, like the idea of Roman Reigns desert island dick, I thought was a far more interesting take on the island of relevancy than one we've had previous. So I was sort of that bizarre visual that Roman concocted concocted concocted, and and then Woods proceeded to double down on was way more interesting than the typical bloodline nonsense the very slow cadence the long entrance all that sort of stuff and yeah where we're gonna go later on is ultimately where we needed to go for the Survivor Series I think that's there has been there has been stuff announced the Survivor Series we shall save that for the uh, Raw preview shall we? Astonished by this I came to work today I, I you know don't really try and go on Twitter at the weekend because it's yeah, doom scrolling a lot of the time. Uh, we, and were, I we, were, we were alerted, Wilbur. We were alerted, shall we say. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing I'm very excited about looking at the teams. It's on the Raw side and it's a father-son duo that I don't think are going to coexist very much longer. But we'll save that for the Raw preview. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. This makes me care about Survivor Series. So I suppose the job done in terms of we could all see where this was heading and yet... As a hook, I have to admit, it's ridiculous, but stick around for the main event to see who bends the knee. Say <laughs> that, you've genuinely hooked me. Not bad, yeah. Not uh, Like, as stupid as it sounds, but almost knowingly so. Yes. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, so yeah. Yeah, I think if this had been King Corbin, for example, feuding with a baby-faced yeah. world champion, I'd be like, oh, what a load of bollocks. But because it's Woods, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I want someone to bend the knee for my king. I would do it. I'd kiss the ring as well whilst I'm at it. But anyway, uh, we'll get back to that later on in the night because we got Naomi, Shayna Baszler in a straight-up fair match next. Uh, as the match gets started, hey, Kyla! Uh, chats to Sonia Deville and talks about her vendetta against Naomi. And uh, Sonia scoffs and says, oh, I'm not doing that. It's a you know trial-by-fire sort of thing. I'm, I'm trying to bring out the passion and help Naomi through this you know, through this adversity, she's going to get better. And if she wins tonight, maybe one day, one day we'll have a match between the two of us. And uh, yeah, you'll all see where this was going, basically. And uh, <laughs> it went there. It was convoluted. But one thing saved this entire segment for me. Uh, what happened? Uh, you know, we know these two can work pretty well together. No botches or less botches, I should say, than in the two minute match where Naomi fell off the top rope uh, last mm -hmm. week. Basil is constantly going for submissions. Of course she is, but Naomi breaks free, drop kicks her, gets a nice near fall. Baszler, though, hits Naomi with a beautiful release German suplex. And she's got new gear as well. I'd love to know your thoughts on that in a second. Um, Baszler gets sent out to the floor. Uh, Naomi kicks her in the head and gets pushes her into the apron. Uh, ribs first. Uh, later on, fighting on the uh, apron after Naomi had hit a flying crossbody. Uh, and Baisley hit a gut-wrench suplex uh, on the apron, which I thought were great. So Baszler is getting battered again a bit by Naomi and then out of nowhere locks on the Kirafuda clutch, but Naomi gets to the ropes. Baszler pulls her away and Naomi slips out, rolls up Baszler. One, two, three. Naomi has defeated Shayna Baszler, but before she has time to celebrate, out comes Sonya Deville and says, well, to be fair, Naomi did get to the ropes and that should have been a rope break. So unfortunately that pinfall doesn't really count. I've got no option here, 
but to restart the match. Naomi's furious, and of course, she turns around into a Kira Fuda clutch to give Shayna Baszler the victory. And the thing that popped me huge here was Michael Cole on commentary. Very rare that I say something like that, Michael Hamplett, yelling, where's Jack Tunney? <laughs> yeah, that, um, that almost felt like a line that was fed to Pat McAfee and he didn't realise and Cole had to say it instead, didn't it? He mm. felt like this was a gag they very much wanted to get out there for people to enjoy. Like for those that get the reference, of course, looking for a real authority figure, aren't we all? Always been looking for Jack Tony for about 20 years. RIP. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd, I don't know. This match was pretty good, as you say. Um, it was sort of the worst case scenario all the way around the other week because the match was bad, but it was short and also full of botches. Mm. So they couldn't have, for the, for the fact they're telling the same story, you at least need the, especially from a Baszler and a Naomi, you need the work to be pretty strong. And it wasn't. And this was better. Like yeah. the match was the match was genuinely engaging. And I think as much as everybody saw shenanigans coming, the wrestlers did a half decent job of obscuring that for mm. the five minutes or whatever it was. I like I got you just you just know you've watched so much WWE that you know that the fix is in, you know that something is not gonna if anything, you would probably have predicted this finish. The dusty finish going against the baby face, have to get the restart, Shane gets the win. You would have maybe not the exact details, rope breaks and the like, but you would have seen something going just like this for Naomi because it kind of it's just how WWE tells this story. Um, like it, there's an energy that I can't explain that where WWE show you that a finish is false in how they direct it, in, in how the commentators speak, in, in how the wrestlers perform, everything is designed to basically have this big red klaxon above a finish when you know it's not the right one. And that was the case with Naomi's win here. So it didn't maybe have that energy that they were perhaps looking for. But it was a a step in the right direction. I think this angle needs work. I really think this angle needs work. I think where they've gone... One of the areas in which they've gone wrong here is... And we talked about this at the time. I know that there was possibly a reactionary take that the Becky Lynch... uh, Bianca Belair story at SummerSlam. And I was guilty of this as much as anybody. The reaction we take was, this was all bad because you've just absolutely buried Bianca Belair here. And then there would have been people thinking, well, yeah, but what if this is actually going somewhere? And it, it did go somewhere. It was to build up Becky Lynch as a, as a heel now. But they've not at any point rectified Bianca Belair. And one of the reasons why that is, is because nothing that Bianca Belair has said or done in the last two months has gone that far to rectify the fact she lost in like 20 seconds. Mm. And when WWE do this troll stuff, it's always got to be at every extreme edge. Becky couldn't have come back, given Bianca Belair a super competitive match, and then cheated to win. You know, like after 10, 15 minutes, and then mm. it had to be manhandle slam, 20 seconds, shock and awe. Like, and in here, what you had was Naomi, like, guts out a win. She doesn't know that maybe the win was ill-gotten. And she's worked in WWE long enough to know that they don't have an instant replay rule unless they make it up when they do. Mm-hmm. So even if it was ill-gotten, she was permitted to think, oh, I've won this, I've got this done. And then you get it. And then Baszler beats her pretty much straight away. It's not a, like a second, ah, oh, God damn it. Son, curse you, son, yeah. And then Naomi just falls short, but finally she's allowed to escape with the credibility intact. She's made a mug of again by Baszler. Like, it took like, what, less than a minute for Baszler to beat her with a Kurafuda clutch after that? And then she's up pretty much straight away. So I don't know. It's all too half-baked for me, this. Mm. And I'm not even sure the audience wants it. Yeah, this is not like... Sonia Deville is not... Uh, here's an example, right? We have been critical of the content of Chris Jericho's promos with Dan Lambert, right? 
mm-hmm. much of that storyline has felt a bit off. Like the fans in the audience go nuts for it. And you always have to say like, well, look, objectively, this is going down brilliantly. Yeah. But some of it isn't for me. On those metrics, this is failing because the fans aren't receiving Sonia Deville as like the second coming of Vince McMahon, <laughs> nor are they receiving Naomi as the second coming of Steve Austin. You know what you're watching, but very few people in the audience are actually feeling it. They're just accepting that this is the boss, anti-authority, babyface story again and again and again. If this, if all of this is ultimately to get us to the destination of the bloodline, then you probably had already done that within two weeks of Sonia Deville getting pied off. Uh, sorry, Naomi getting pied off. Mm. I don't know. I just maybe this is just me. Like I like all of the performers more than I like any of the story that they're being told to tell. No, I agree. I think there's far more potential in this than what WWE are actually achieving. And like you say, the question mark hanging over her joining the bloodline, or yeah, it just it does feel sort of uh, not even not even McMahon Austin light. It's like McMahon Austin, you know. A co- it's a copy of a copy of a copy, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Like, and uh, it feels like that. I think there's, there is, you know, something there. Sonya Deville's finally stepping back in the ring for a, what would be a great match against someone like Naomi. It does just feel a bit of an afterthought. All this, though, doesn't it? It does, and it's a shame. Particularly, the thing is, if this leads to what people want, which is perhaps Naomi hooking up with the bloodline or perhaps Sonya Deville wrestling again, that's tricky in itself because the babyface heel dynamics are all over the shop. But if it leads to either of those two things, or this leads to some sort of, yeah, you know, revived push for Shayna Baszler because she's helped Sonya Deville in this, for what we've never had that talked about, by the way. You can't call this good like development for Baszler, because what's Baszler got to gain out of any of this? There's never been... Has Baszler and Deville even had like a backstage segment where they've been seen talking to one another? I don't know, yeah. Absolutely no attempt to establish any kind of motivation for why Baszler's doing this. So it's not like deep and insightful storytelling, like not by a long chalk, but if any of these are to get out of this um, as big as stars, I'm not yet seeing how they particularly get there. Uh, right, we go backstage. Um, <laughs> Rome is just slagging off SmackDown and Monday Night Raw. He says, look, without me, this show sucks. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad as Raw last week. And uh, <laughs> Rome gets annoyed despite the fact that the users are cracking up. He says to Jay, what don't we do? We don't lose. We don't lose because we're the ones. And Jay and Jimmy head out uh, to get ready for their match later on. Uh, and then we get an interview in the back. Hey, Kyla! Interviews Ridge Bloody Holland, and he talks about <laughs> how him and all the lads just love watching Seamus back in day. We go down pub and watch him cave John Cena's head in or whatever. He's his idol, basically talks about some of Seamus's achievements. What did you make of this? I, I thought this was pretty great, actually. Oh, yeah. What was I just talking about? There has been no attempt to establish any kind of relationship or motivation um, with Shayna Baszler and Sonya Deville. You know, there's no obvious incentive, even if it's perhaps tacit. Um, Ridge Holland, on the other hand, has arrived. Ridge Bloody Holland on SmackDown and is looking to side look to somebody that he profoundly respects. And that person is somebody you can 100% believe Ridge Holland looked up to. That backstory as cliched and a bit trite and a bit silly as it might have sounded to us Brits um, fundamentally at its core feels real like Luke Mains or Luke Luke Mesnes you know however you choose to pronounce his name was once a rugby player in the north of England enjoying watching this hard as nails jacked 
I mean, Seamus is Irish, right? But presented as a Brit. Like mm. he's on this side, of, presented on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. Exactly. He's kind of one of our one of our own. Um, yeah, doing damage to people that Ridge, Ridge Bloody Holland's character already we know to hate. I bought this. I like, and Ridge Bloody Holland has been cast half the time in NXT as this quasi Peaky Blinders loser. Seamus has had his fair old time doing that as well. You know, they've never strayed too far away from that with Seamus's gimmick. Like he spent half his time in a flat cap. Is is walking to the ring promos are not cutting tights they're cutting a vest and braces and flat cap and slacks mm. i i like this immediately do you know what i i saw this and i sort of laughed at the prospect of him yeah like you say turning around to his rugby mates going come on lads let's go to pub and stay up till 4am to watch wwe tlc back in day no that's not happened <laughs> but the moment this got suggested the fact they're both heels, I mean, kind of bloody need some more babyface tag teams on the show. But the fact that I thought of like a, a, a protege, you know, a, a teacher and protege and what have you, and Ridge Bloody Holland being a student of Seamus as they're in this tag team just ruining dudes, potentially leading to a bloody great hard hitting match with the Viking Raiders, for example, got me very excited all of a sudden because I love Seamus. And I said, oh, why have you brought him back so soon? Like, you need to give me a bit of time to miss him. Put him in a tag team and I'll, I'm I'm back into it all over again. I'm going to go one better than that. I'd be sweating right now if I was the bloodline because what do we know about Ridge Bloody Holland? He was a massive Seamus fan and he used to play rugby. Who else used to play rugby, Will Bond? And who else has got now going on? That's right, it's Cesaro. We are bar. <laughs> um, reunite the bar as a three-way, A, because of Seamus and Cesaro being the bar, and Ridge Bloody Holland, because he spent time at bar watching Seamus when he was younger. Well, what about calling him the, t- sorry, tit rugger buggers, right? <laughs> we tit ones. <laughs> hey, Roman, Roman, Jimmy, Jay, you're out. I say what I like, and I like what I bloody well say, and I'm at it table. At Christmas, round my mum's. Not you. And we haven't had it for, what, six months? Hey, you, you think you got one over on us? We got two words for you. Look up. Big big ball of gravy drops on him. Hey, you're in gravy now. <laughs> you got Ridge Bloody Holland with a headlock on Roman Reigns. And, like, Ridge, Ridge Holland has had to fool him, obviously, so he's wearing a Roman Reigns face mask as he's got the headlock on him. And he says, Roman, well, come meet my brother. Guess where he lives? And Roman's going, uh, Chester, Chester, no, no. <laughs> Leeds, oh Leeds. oh Leeds, we'll go, we'll go up bar, get that pint. Roman will be hopping over a fence quicker than see you're a mentalist. Are you going to be right over that hedge? That's that six man. Book it, book it. Bloodline, bloodline, bar, pay per view. Then a backstage promo that. It wasn't as good for me. It was one shooting their shots, as we were told. (laughs) Shotzi's there, she says. Ever since she got to SmackDown, she's lost title opportunities. She's lost a tag team partner. And she lost the support of the WWE Universe. I like they were training pretty strongly last week, but okay. 
Uh, she said last week, thanks to Sasha Banks, she lost the biggest match of her career and she's not going to smile and pretend it's all right anymore. Sasha's patronizing attitude broke her. Now Sasha is the target and she's going to run her over and anyone else who gets in the way and she doesn't need a tank to do so. Oh, just so depressing, this. Shotty <laughs> Blacker. Like, imagine if when Adam Cole like came out on, and he does it more in AEW than he does in NXT, but imagine if he came out as like a, Boys and girls, you ready for story time with Adam Cole, baby? And then just told a story that didn't actually happen. It's <laughs> <laughs> like in the, in the crowd just shrugging at this like really cool and enthusiastic talent trying to get over total nonsense. That was what Shotzi was tasked with here. A proper each and every one of you promo just from the back instead of in front of fans. Ah, oh, I felt really sad for her. So this morning, I'm, I'm, I'm working on an article that will hopefully be on whatculture.com forward slash WWE later on about... Um, Vincent Mann erasing Triple H's legacy. And there are many reasons for that, of which I'm going to try and explore several. And I went looking for a couple of episodes of 2.0 in the WWE Network. And I was shocked and quite pleased to find that it's just in NXT. It's in the NXT tab. Um, it's just there. And it's like, there they are pretending that these are the same shows. They're not, they're not the same <laughs> The thumbnails look so weird next to each other because you've just got like the, the last day of the CWC and it's like grit and sweat and chin locks. <laughs> like straight into like the 2.0 era they do not look right next to each other and i'm scrolling down and not that long ago because it's within a year you know you get six or seven per line the thumbnail for halloween havoc 2020 of course is one of shotzi like looking awesome yeah in the, in the roles in the role she was maybe built to play the host of halloween havoc just incredible and cwc nxt was hardly this glorious era for freedom of expression <laughs> Well, Christ almighty, this looked like she was working like this, like August 2021 Dynamite compared to this. Jesus wept. Just generic heel nonsense. Lies, full of lies. Like, yeah. yes, she, yes, she's lost stuff, but that's had nothing to do with any of us, as you've alluded to, the us that were just cheering her wildly in her attempt to beat Charlotte Flair last week. A forced thing, because what they like about Shotzi what they like about Shotty enough to turn her heel is now what they're going to take away from her. Brilliant. Just brilliant. Nice one, lads. Sure that'll work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's move on uh, because we got the uh, first match of Los Lotharios. I love the name, but I refuse to call them that. The Handsome Bastards had their first <laughs> match on SmackDown, those being Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza. And they went up that against that infamous tag team, those two best friends who are inseparable backstage, of course, Mansoor and Cesaro. Mansoor! <laughs> and I thought, oh, I, love that. I thought, I wonder who's going to win this one. <laughs> it's, it's great. Like, the, it's one of those sort of things, isn't it, where, yeah, every now and then, like, obviously, we joke, it's always, can you coexist? Can they coexist? But you could do a video package, couldn't you? Like, we've we've had big matches in the past. We've had one big match in the past that I was required to carry you as best I possibly could. And now can we coexist? We're going to put that behind us. So I was like, oh, I forgot I did that. It's behind me. It's done. But for as bollocks as this was just thrown together, I really enjoyed this match. Um, you know, Mansoor took a beating. Double drop kick on him as he's trapped in a tree of woe. That was nice. He gets cut off. He gets isolated. He gets beaten down. He finally, after several attempts, fights back and uh, gets to his corner, gets Cesaro, gets this hot tag and just does Cesaro stuff. And it's brilliant. Uppercuts on Carrillo. He goes out to the floor, runs around with, I think this was uh, Gaza's ripped off trousers. I'm not 100%. So some pizza item of clothing he was running around. He hits a running uppercut, uh, overcut, sorry, on Angel Garza on the outside. Gets back in, springboard, twisting European uppercut on Umberto Creo. Sets up for the swing, uh, but Garza jumps in. So he goes, oh, bollocks, you can go for the swing then instead. Carrillo breaks it up. Mansoor gets back in to, to, to save his mate as well. Cesaro saves Mansoor, but then Carrillo gets uh, Cesaro with a super kick, bumps into Mansoor, and then eventually they hit that wonderful double team finisher where like one of them's got him in like a submission, like a mooter lock sort of thing. And the other one just drop kicks the, <laughs> the other one in the face. And yeah, that would put someone down. Lost the Tharios, get the win for a little five minute throwaway match to establish them on the main roster on or on SmackDown, at least great stuff for me. Uh, yes. Yeah. Cautiously optimistic about Los Lotharios. They're, they were in there with Cesaro, who is typically a general in these circumstances, and Mansoor, who has kind of built up enough babyface stock that you can cash in in something like this, where you're trying to get Los Lotharios. All right, yeah, I agree with you. I, I didn't hit this at all. I think if, um, if Los Lotharios stand any chance of washing away the stench that's basically been on them for the duration of the time on the main roster, you know, a lot of it, I don't know about you, a lot of it feels tied to the... Um, like the performance center era mm. of the pandemic. And yes, I know those canvases were sprayed with magic cleaning fluids after every match, <laughs> but the stink remains on the wrestlers. Uh, and I just, I would like to see a lot of guys like this get fresh start. So yeah, I didn't hate this at all. And I'm not somebody that I'm not, a Cesaro, I, like I love Cesaro, but I'm not a Cesaro truther. I'm not the person I like, I'm not happier that they kind of, had him do that awesome UFO thing at WrestleMania and then within sort of two months, he was back down the pecking order. WWE should function better than that. But there are plenty of people that that affects. And Cesaro is one of the few people that has come out and said he quite likes... One of the things he likes about his job is kind of finding out with five minutes notice what he's got to do and then making a challenge out of it. And look, if that's what keeps him happy enough and in, in enough money and time to go and enjoy putting pictures of coffee on his Instagram, 
Like more power to him. Yeah. I'm not going to cry for Cesaro because I don't think he wants us to. This was this was probably what he enjoys at this point, and Los Lotharios had a good night off the back of it. So a wins all round. No, exactly. And uh, I'm just, just happy for an Angel Gaza team to get a win on their first go around, considering how we tracked <laughs> the dreadful Zelina Vegas stable through no fault of the performers who lost every single time a new iteration of that group came along. So, yeah, anything's better than that, I suppose. Um, although yeah. not anything, because you can go backstage to Kayla Braxton trying to interview Jeff Hardy, who's in the middle of chatting to Aaliyah, who's j- just... Oh, it's so nice to be here. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, Aaliyah leaves to let him get on with his interview. Jeff Hardy no-sells Kayla Braxton instead walks back to Aaliyah, who's now chatting to Sami Zayn, who gives her advice to wear a pantsuit and then walks off. And she's like, I guess you don't have to be mad around to work here, but uh, I suppose it helps sort of thing effectively here to Jeff Hardy. I completely forgot about the segment until you started talking about it just then. Uh, because I think I must have erased it out of my brain to ensure that I had a nice weekend because this would have spoiled my entire Saturday. Like, what was this? What on earth was this? I, I know what it was. I know it was yeah, Vince and Bruce and whomever sitting together and thinking, how how can we get over three or four characters in the same segment? Do some of that. Uh, like that guy on the podcast we listen to that's got a really good book available from whatculture.bigcartel.com. He always, uh, he's always calling the company... Is some D word, and all he calls us is dicks. How can we be a bit more, be a bit more like that first D word? And they think, well, I don't know what we'll do. We'll just have like several characters overlap in one segment, and we'll get them all over. We'll highlight what their personality traits are all at once. Personality traits are thusly: Kayla Braxton uh, doesn't want to give up on interviews. We know this from Paul Heyman. So instead, just gets pied by top baby faces. Jeff <laughs> uh, Hardy, decades into his uh, career as a WWE wrestler. Uh, husband and father is now moving in uh, top shagger to save taking bumps. <laughs> Aaliyah is this dated concept from the early 2000s Divas division that yeah. isn't permitted to particularly speak for herself, but is there to blush and smile and nod at the suggestions of the men she works with. And Sami Zayn, along with being crackpot conspiracy theorist, prude as well. Is that is that have I ticked? Yeah, everybody's traits off for their for their winter top trump series cards. Like, and they'll come away from this being that was great. It's because that was really economical, wasn't it? How we use this TV time to get all these guys over. Now you got them all under one after another after another. Awful television, like bad, a bad segment, but like actively bad. So mm. damage, damage the people it was supposed to donate just 30 seconds of time to. And like you say, even worse because they think nailed that. No, yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap. But what followed was, and I might be getting quite hyperbolic here, considering we got Adam Cole and John Silver over on the other channel, and obviously Brian Danielson uh, in action, and Anthony Bowens. Quite possibly my favourite match of Friday night came next. Ricochet versus Drew McIntyre. Oh, my God. I just was out of my chair for this one, for a match that I thought when Ricochet answered the open challenge of Drew McIntyre, oh, here we go again. So Ricochet <laughs> comes down and says, oh yeah, well, you can do all your, you know, flexing your pecs and catchphrases or whatever. And then you just say, oh, someone's going to come along and slap the taste out of your mouth. And then he did to Drew McIntyre, who looked furious, understandably at him, and started by just belly to belly in Ricochet across the ring. I don't get tired of this spot 
I love it. They've been doing it loads recently with like Keith Lee, obviously happy birthday to him and sorry about his WWE release. Um, I feel like Bron Breaker has probably done it over on NXT. But, oh, and then here, it's Ricochet. He bumps phenomenally. Maybe he should have done this rather than have Brock beat him, like have Brock beat him, but give him this sort of match and maybe you, you would have not ruined him completely in Saudi Arabia <laughs> because like it just looks so good. Uh, Ricochet, he's got, he's got Drew on the outside. He goes for a Hurricane Rana and McIntyre just catches him, just catches him and holds him there because he's ridiculously strong and he slams him on the apron and then he throws Ricochet across the ring again and then he goes up top and we think, you know, a six foot five bloke or whatever he is is going to come off and destroy Ricochet. But in the amount of time he takes, the flippy small guy is recovered and drop kicks McIntyre, just completely throws him for a loop. Um, they show Mustafa Ali's watching backstage. He goes, mm, me and Ricochet, we got a lot in common. Uh, <laughs> and then Ricochet hits a, a springboard crossbody and a standing shooting star press, but McIntyre immediately just rolls through, you know, gets him up there, brain busters Ricochet for a near fall. And then you think, okay, right, well, let's go to the finish. And Drew pops him on his back. And you think, yeah, okay, Alabama Slam, Claymore, thanks very much. Except when he goes to the Alabama Slam, Ricochet rolls through victory rolls and gets a great near fall. And then Ricochet thinks, maybe I've got a chance here. He knocks Drew McIntyre down. He goes up for a moonsault, goes for it. And with brilliant precision, just like they did in NXT with Adam Cole and the super kick, Ricochet is mid rotation on this moonsault where McIntyre claymores his goddamn head off for the one, two, three. I adored this Hamlet. Yeah, this um this ruled in a way that I was like despondent for some time afterwards that this didn't take place in a competent wrestling company. That's how much I like that's how much I loved this. Um I'll talk about the match first and then just like some of the some of the things that could have been done with this that won't be unfortunately because I Execution was, if not flawless, as good as flawless, flawless enough. The comparison, we all made it, I'm sure, to that Adam Cole spot um, from NXT. Like one of the great NXT matches and certainly maybe as representative of Ricochet's awesome time in NXT as anything else he did down there. I know people think fondly of the dive over a face up to the Velveteen Dream, but in terms of an in-match moment, it didn't get much better than this with Adam Cole. And they timed this arguably to even greater like there was an even greater skill here because a claymore has got to come with a bit of a run-up and a bit of um uh acceleration versus mm. cole being being stationary that's not to do down the awesome cole ricochet spot but like he's kind of coming at this from a stationary position uh drew had to make this look a bit more like a claymore they have had matches like this in the past where they've been able to test their chemistry out there are a few spots that they have um done and then what's great about when they wrestle They've done the spot and then they've since escalated it so it becomes more violent. And you sort of, if WWE could do legacy feuds, this would probably be one of them in the in the last sort of two or three years because they work so well together. Yeah. Ricochet clearly trusts Drew McIntyre as a base, clearly trusts him as a guy that can throw him around and a guy that can take the stuff. Drew clearly enjoys being in something with this lightning bolt energy of a match that Ricochet has got this. Not all of Drew McIntyre's open challenge matches will can be as good as this or will be as good as this, but he's clearly like really feeling himself and looking to see how he can escalate the drama in these otherwise fairly routine TV squashes. And Ricochet was the perfect guy for that. Um, yeah, loved it. Really, really great. And unfortunately now, like we need to talk about why none of this matters. Um, 
the last ricochet <laughs> the last ricochet match that made you feel as like emotionally involved as this was his performance in money in the bank earlier this year and it led to less than nothing um talk about giving your body to a cause christ he gave one to that and it was for now it was for absolutely nothing it was because they were in front of a live crowd for the first time in a while and you had to wow them you had to wow the people make sure you got them back the next time ricochet is going to do some fun stuff here and then disappear without trace as he did um he arrives on smackdown to minimal fanfare and gets his match like has this awesome showcase a losing one at that against drew mcintyre and we can all hope that the mustafa ali storyline is going somewhere but how much gets dropped in wwe you can't trust it until you've virtually seen all of it play out like if they make it to a pay-per-view and that pay-per-view that match is as hot as it should be only then can we go well done wwe well yeah. done you because it just feels like on every step of the way they'll blow this. What makes all of this so much worse is that what you could have done here, if this was a company that was competent, this match could be more than just Drew winning an open challenge match. Which, by the way, I like the story. I like that Drew McIntyre is opening the floor to anybody on SmackDown, beating them every week while Roman Reigns actively avoids fighting people. Yeah. Like, I, I like that a lot. I li like, this is, a, this is genuinely sort of stuff that we would praise AEW for. You have one wrestler very definitively doing one thing while one wrestler tries not to because ultimately they're on a collision course. I, I, I like that. And I, like, I'm like i all for once a week Drew McIntyre doing this. I, like he thinks there's rankings even if there's not. Mm -hmm. He is showing who he is. He is showing who he is even if time after time you're not rewarded for that. And he's a baby face. And I, I like that. And I feel like these two things are happening simultaneously for a reason. And Drew is going to get his title match. Possibly this might be the New Year's Day pay-per-view, actually, because Roman can squeak by him or Roman can not beat him, but then say, well, I'm not fighting you again. And then Drew's got to go in and win the Rumble to get his shot against Russell. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they could do something with that for this January 1st show. So I like this angle. But imagine how much more depth this match could have had. Imagine if Ricochet could have said, you know, Drew, you're on this show because you're trying to make a name for yourself. When was the last time you made a name for yourself? It was the Royal Rumble when you eliminated Brock Lesnar. But how did you eliminate Brock yeah, Lesnar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Claymore, yeah, you big old Claymore, big deal. You wouldn't have done it if I didn't punch Brock in the dick. So Ricochet <laughs> buries. Not only does he bury Drew's claim, but he buries the power of the Claymore as well. And then you get this match. Like, how much could that have informed this? Yeah. And it's if I'm if I'm thinking of this, a little bit of me thinks the wrestlers are thinking of this. And it's just a shame their stupid old boss isn't... He's liking what he sees at the moment. Oh, look at that. Look at what my big guy just did to that little twerp. Like, <laughs> he likes what he sees. But he's not remembering any of that. But it's just nice to think that maybe a finish like this was arrived upon because the wrestlers in their mind think, let's tell that story for the Uber dorks. Mm. And maybe some of those dorks will talk... Like, I'm saying this now because maybe some of those Uber dorks will talk about it on a podcast. And maybe some other Ruby Dogs will be like, yeah, maybe maybe there's a bit of law here and we can enjoy the law. The law of Ricochet versus the Claymore. And then we got this tremendous finish. See, this is my problem. I completely agree with you. And then I watch it and go, so you're telling me there's a chance with Ricochet? Because <laughs> I yeah, watched I that and I just adore him, obviously. And I always campaign for him <clears throat> to get, you know, look at this from a standing start, what they managed to pull out in, what, four minutes? And then they follow it up with the backstage segment. Mustafa Ali goes up to Ricochet and says, let's be a team. And he goes, no. <laughs> he says, I've been watching the show. You moan all the time. You're a little bit of a bitch. You are horrible to your life. <laughs> and you're just a bellend. So no, why would I team with you? 
on this show, incredibly, they've set up two really exciting tag teams that I would love to see down the line fight each other for the belts with Ricochet and Mustafa Ali emerging victorious. Maybe, you know, you put the New Day beat the Usos, let's say, then the, the, the Rugger Buggers, or whatever you want to call them, Sheamus and, and Ridley Yolland, they beat the New Day comprehensively. And then if you're not going to do the Viking Raiders shtick, or even if you are, maybe they beat the Viking Raiders, defend it against them, and then they go, sorry, you two guys, look at the size he is, if you could. And then they get beaten by a baby face Mustafa Ali, because that's what he is. He's just a generally all-round good guy, if you follow him on social media. And Ricochet. Oh, why do I do this to myself? Why do I ever allow myself to get optimistic about this show? If... Um, if- Mustafa Ali and Ricochet ever, ever team up, and I think that's highly unlikely, but if they ever team up, I can say for certain that after three months, I don't even know who's coming next to a bond, but I'm just going to say that after three months, they would probably lose to the next two people on this show. I don't even know who those two people are, but whoever they are, like I'm just thinking off the top of my head, I can't even remember the show. It was so long ago now. I bet whoever those two people are that are next on the show would crush Ricochet and Mustafa Ali within three months of them teaming up. Yeah, I, I, who are they? I forget. Yeah. Well, next up, it was time for Happy Talk with <laughs> Corbin and Mad Cat Moss. Again, some great part here from Moss. <laughs> he says, if Nakamura and Booze keep challenging them, they'll have to change their names to uh, Pinsuke and Oops. Very nice. Very good stuff. That. Oh, I okay. that. Uh, Corbin introduces the guests for Happy Talk, the Viking Raiders. What? A, who's thought this was a good idea? Uh, yeah. And uh, Corbin and Moss just roll their eyes and take their piss and talk, talk about how grumpy the Viking Raiders are. Uh, and uh, they say, the Viking Raiders respond by saying, we're not here to be you know, happy and cheerful and clap our hands like Mad Cat Moss genuinely did at the start of this thing. <laughs> You're happy and you know it. <laughs> They sort of are. They, they kind of are. Rawr, 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 rawr. They've done quite a bit of that. Uh, they say, Corbin and Moss just make us miserable. Uh, Ivar says, happy talk is corny and it sucks. And uh, Corbin says, well, yeah, you're, you're still in your Halloween costume, so who's the real winner here? Uh, <laughs> he says, I'll tell you what, I'll cheer you up. Madcap, hit him with one of your jokes. And uh, Madcap nails. How did the uh, young woman suffocate from body odour? She took a liking to a Viking. Is that even a joke? I don't even know what no. that is. The setup's all weird and the punchline. No, it's, it's a, <laughs> no, it's not a joke. It's a rhyme. Not a joke. It's, it's two words that rhyme and something really horrific in this feed line. Hey, hey, welcome to Saturday Night Live. How did the woman die? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> It's not even a limerick. It's not even like there was a woman who suffered from body odour. She took a big liking to a fat, ugly Viking, and now she's dead. Like, they're <laughs> awful. Uh, so the Viking Raiders were either offended by that joke or just had enough at this point. They just start chucking chairs about. And when we come back from break, the match is happening. All the big you know, crowd-popping Viking Raider spots in this match. Ivar slamming, uh, sorry, Eric slamming, uh, slamming Ivar onto Moss, but uh, he recovers. He has a nice spine buster actually in here on, uh, on Eric to get control for the heels. Moss knocks Ivar out of the ring later and Corbin hits a deep six on Eric for a near fall. Uh, Ivar gets the hot tag and just 
does all the great stuff that he does. A flying crossbody on Moss. He sends Corbin out to the floor. Dodges Corbin as he comes back in with a cartwheel. Eric suplexes Corbin. And Eric, after a bit of an effort, gets Moss up, power bombs him, and he looks like he's going to hold him in place so Ivar can do some mad top rope move. But Corbin pulls Moss out of the ring and they bail and take the, the count out loss. What are we doing here, man? What are we doing here? A segment... Uh, like, on one hand, I was happy that this was, like, that wretched happy talk wasn't, uh, well, tune in next week. You've not dangled the hook for me to watch it on next week's SmackDown, so at least just get it out of the way, I thought to myself. Only no, because we're going to get both, aren't we? It's always both. It's it's like, it's now, it's next week, it's possibly at the pay-per-view. Maybe what will happen next week, Will Vaughn, because the feud won't fucking die, unlike <laughs> all of Mad Cat Moss's jokes. Maybe they'll try and powder again. And guess who's going to stop them at the ramp? Boogs. It's going to be Boogs and Nakamura because at long last, we're going to have to get the payoff to that. So they'll chase and them back say, in the ring. has got to go and dance with Shinsuke and Boogs. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. You know they listen. What are you doing? <laughs> pitiful. Pitiful rubbish that is the answer to the question that nobody ever asked and yet continues to be asked week on week. What are we doing with Baron Corbin? Nobody ever once, once somebody asked what are we doing with Baron Corbin. And it was minutes after he took Austin Aries' head off in NXT. Took his fucking head off. Once I sat there and I, oh, what are they going to do with Baron Corbin now? That's It's been seven years. I, And yet that question is answered every... It's the, he is the weekly equivalent of that feeling in December, January that Vince gets where he's like, what we uh, got for Shano at WrestleMania? <laughs> can't help no, can't help noticing that his name's not on the whiteboard. What are we what are we thinking, guys? He asks that question of Baron Corbin every week, and has done for years. And not a single like I don't want to be awful to Baron Corbin, you know. And I, I think there's a there's a real charm to his work, especially in certain characters. But what he is not, in spite of that, is the guy that somebody on their way to the show is thinking about rubbing the hands together. Mm. Can't wait to get into my seat. Can't wait to get my beer. Can't wait for the countdown. Can't wait for those first fireworks. Like, can't wait for Baron Corbin. Baron Corbin, with the best will in the world. I'm a pain punter. I buy t-shirts. I know he probably thinks I'm one of them damn internet fans. Like, I'm not, I'm a mark at heart, but I'm thinking like, oh, when's Corbin on? I'm busting. <laughs> and that's purpose serving, but, oh, God. Well, speaking he's about trying. what... He's, he's every version of trying. Speaking about what are we doing here, this next segment felt like they went, oh, we've got five minutes to kill, lads. What are we going to do? So Sami Zayn runs into Hit Row backstage. As we all know, Hit Row has always ever been three men. That's all it's ever been. <laughs> uh, and Zayn says, oh, I saw your debut the other week. Uh, kind of sucked, if I'm honest. You haven't really got... You know, you need to get your, make an better entrance because Shanti the Adonis is about to kill him as a result of saying that. But then Top Dollar says, you know, why don't you go out and, and give us an entrance instead? And I thought, oh, cool, we're getting a Sami Zayn match. So Sami Zayn comes out and he just flails around like Shawn Michaels facing Hogan at SummerSlam, basically. And he gets on the mic and he says, that's how you do it. That's called being fearless. That's having presence. That's being in the present. Uh, he says, that's the qualities you need to be a superstar in this locker room, in my locker room. Um, 
Hey, bro, I know you've got those qualities. You can do more. You just need my leadership. And out come Hit Row. And uh, they pop the crowd with some nice local references. And then they play the music, which is suspiciously lost a woman's voice from it. Uh, oh. And Sammy starts dancing again. And they laugh at him. And Top Dollar says, Sammy's sleeping on them. He needs pajamas. He must be insane to be uh, coming out and try to run them. They wouldn't let him run their bathwater. Uh, Top Dollar drops her. Sammy sucks. And the crowd chanting along to it. And Sammy Zane tries to leave. And Swerve and Adonis block his path and he sort of begs off and Top Dollar lets him walk away. And then they laugh. And then Ashanti the Adonis says, if you don't know now, you know. And then that's it. What did, what happened here? What? Oh, bullies. Bullies happened here. Well, born big bullies and then the baby faces. The, like, the deafening, and I, look, I'm, this is not on, um, this is not on Hit Row, any of them at all. But the deafening, Silence. Uh, I know that there was a, a little bit of a reference to be for a top dollar snuck something in, and I think even didn't this like go to break with Pat McAfee saying it's going to be fabulous or something mm. like that. It was something, something cute that they'd like worked out behind the scenes, but like, oh, you couldn't escape reality. And I like I felt an element of sympathy for Hit Row having to go to work here without their fourth member, cruelly sacked as she was, with very little justification compared to the others. It didn't matter that she had this terrible match in NXT, she was a really awesome presence because there's a lot of jobs for a lot of different people with a lot of different talents in pro wrestling. And I hate it when WWE loses sight of that. And that was certainly the case with BFAB. Um, that entrance theme, you know the bit, um, you know in heads, shoulders, knees and toes when you start taking out the words. <laughs> so it's like, so it used to be heads, shoulders, knees, hit row, hit row. And now they've like taken that out. So it's like heads, shoulders, knees. It's BFAB. <laughs> like, uh, like that. The, the silence was already deafening before the music literally was. Like, I just, I've, this made me feel really, really sad. Mm. Um, because, and I guess there was an element of this. Maybe this is generous. There was an element of it on Dynamite. Um, I didn't do Dynamite with you guys, did it? But last week's Dynamite, just for what it's worth, I didn't think it was a particularly good show. And I did, as, as much as I had, this isn't an excuse. The John Moxley news was hanging in the air, wasn't it? It was a bit of a cloud. Yeah. Over last week's like, like that's not I'm not putting those two things together. No, no, I get these bad, bad, bad dynamite, but I think there was the firings were hanging over this SmackDown, and yet WWE is so detached from reality that it was doing quite an effective job of detaching itself from all the sackings, and then it didn't, and then it brought them all to the front <laughs> in one pitiful and awkward segment. That's what it did, and I don't know if there was ever a week to unleash the three-person hit roll in a segment like this, but this felt like the wrong one. Absolutely. I just felt so sorry for them. Uh, and particularly because they're, you know, they're grinning and mugging for the camera backstage. And I'm thinking, yeah, but you don't know if you're going to be here next week, lads, because if they can do that, someone like B-Fab, who they, I know, I'm not saying that she was the best wrestler. I think, you know, you've got some sensational talents uh, with Ashanti the Adonis and Top Dollar and obviously Swerve in ring far better than B-Fab. But they just brought her up to the main roster, just given her a new contract. And then they go, bye. It's like, you know that they are doing these, you know, performative stuff backstage with Sami Zayn with the the, the, the the look of someone who's being held at gunpoint almost behind camera. It was just, yeah, I, I, I didn't like this segment anyway, but particularly in light of what's gone on last week. Ugh. Anyway, let's get to the main event um, before the Usos go out there. Uh, they ask if Roman's coming with them and he just sits there and goes, 
how many mistakes of yours have I got to fix? Which I just thought was a fantastic comeback. And then we got Jimmy Uso versus King Woods. I know these two have wrestled each other a lot in uh, tag team matches, but it was enjoyable uh, watching them in a singles match, particularly their classic, we don't get to see this very often, Hamlet dragging someone along the top rope by their goddamn eyes uh, mm. was, was really nice. Uh, Woods countered Jimmy coming off the top rope with a drop kick, which would have been nice had it not happened earlier on in the night with Drew McIntyre and Ricochet. Uh, back and forth, Woods gets a crossbody. Jimmy hits Nziguri, splash in the corner, running knee, near fall. Woods hit this mad, brilliant, gravity-defying leg drop off the top rope, which I really enjoyed. He goes back up there to hit another move, uh, but Jay causes a distraction, and Jimmy hits him with a top rope, or second rope maybe, Samoan drop uh, for a nice near fall. Jimmy goes for the splash, but Woods gets his knees up. Woods dodges the super kick, but then Jimmy goes after his eyes. Jimmy rolls up Woods, but Kofi gets on the apron. The referee's dealing with that, so misses the pinfall. Turns back round, goes to get the pinfall. Jay, who's furious that this has been interfered with, tries to do the old classic feet on the arse move, but gets caught. And then Woods rolls up Jimmy, gets the victory. Jimmy Uso will have to bend the knee. And Jimmy wants to walk out, but rules are rules. He has to bend the knee and he looks like he's about to. He's going to bow to his king when out of nowhere. Oh, I love, by the way, just a quick note. I love you, Xavier Woods, and I would never wish any pain on you. Oh, but my God, did I adore Roman Reigns coming in and spearing him and kicking the crap out of Xavier Woods. And they beat both of them down. They beat Woods down. They beat Kingston down. Uh, Woods gets hit with a double super kick spear again, Roman Reigns and then they go after Kingston's leg they're targeting it they're, they're contorting it all over the place they're stomping on it and then Jay puts him in a half crab and Jimmy comes off the top with a splash onto the injured leg and he's writhing around in pain and as that's happening, Reigns goes over to Xavier Woods and says, I'll show you a real king next week White hot conclusion to this show and the perfect build to what I anticipate is going to be the main event of Survivor Series. Yeah, really great this. Um, the match was tremendous. As you say, it's the sort of thing, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're the ones at fault, but like last week, the main event, because the show felt phoned in, the main event felt phoned in, going to the, the New Day Usos well felt so cheap and lazy that I think it probably undermined what was another pretty great match between these teams because the wrestlers in this four just and five, you know, including Biggie, just don't really know how to go wrong together. This was one of those matches, but it had way more spice than it had any right to. I have to give credit to the stakes. I really do. I was really invested in the like the, the near falls at the end of this. And that doesn't happen in a lot of these WWE TV matches between with all the greatest respect going nowhere mid carders. Yes. Um like I, I rarely have that on a on your standard Commoner Garden Raw match. I was Proper, proper biting. And I have to give credit to the fundamentally silly, but quite enjoyable status of bend, stakes of bending the knee. Uh, Woods, like, you're totally right to highlight, by the way, that leg drop. If the Queen had half a spring in her step that Xavier Woods has got, I wouldn't think the royal family were a bunch of gross pigs. Like, uh, Jesus Christ, if she could do that at a meet and greet once in a while. Unbelievable. And this is years after he's already been firing off that coast-to-coast elbow. And you just think, like, he... Just because he doesn't all the time, it doesn't mean that he can't. And when he does, like, I, I, look, I, maybe I am just wanting to be greedy because the New Day are so awesome. Let's start the make Xavier Woods WWE Champion campaign now. Yeah. Just because Big E's got out right now, we know eventually he'll lose it. Let's let's get on the Woods train early because, like, he needs to sort of complete the trifecta here. Awesome. 
really good. Love the beatdown at the end because it felt real. It felt earned. Um, Roman is yet again that Roman can yet again present himself as a cleanup guy for the Usos errors when we know that's not really who he is. He kind of has to kind of gaslight them into keeping on his side. And when he needs them, they'll be there for him to run interference and all that sort of stuff. So I like all of this. And in partial defense of WWE, they haven't announced this title versus title match yet, have they? They've not, they've only really announced the Survivor Series match. They've not announced champion versus champion. But as we alluded to on the preview, they might, for the first time in ages, have stumbled upon the animosity before the match. Mm. You know, typically it's like, well, this guy's got to fight this guy because they've both got belts. And then you, if you can even be asked, you've got to like attach a story to it. Um, some years they don't even bother with that. And it was like one year where it was like Charlotte and Alexa Bliss and they were both heels. Mm. And you just, all right, fine. Like, I'll just watch this match, I suppose. Sometimes they don't even bother to give you a reason for the story. They're just both champions. On In both cases, the title, the champion versus champion matches might not both be for belts, but you kind of want to see the fight. Mm. I, I just adored yeah. this conclusion to the show. Maybe this is why I came out going, SmackDown really good again this week. And I look back and go, oh, no, there's some dreadful points. But again, with Roman Reigns and the Usos and the Bloodline and, and now obviously with uh, two-thirds of the New Day on this show, I think there's some great stuff on there on occasion. I would love so much if it, if it was just as simple. Like, the, I understand why they would choose to be vague and we're doing a preview on a Friday morning. There's still nothing touted for the show. But for once, you can make it seem not like a cynical ratings grab by having the first thing Big E does after he's welcomed everyone in Monero is to say, now before we get on to what's happening here on Monero, I want to talk about SmackDown and I want to talk about you, Roman Reigns. And I just, I'm not about words, I'm about actions. And I will see you Friday. Yeah. And then he moves on to Raw and he says, because look, Roman, there's been some pretty great three man groups in WWE history. But I know that you, weren't even the strongest out of your three-man group. And and then Seth Rollins comes out and Big E just says, and don't think I was talking about you either. Or something like, just a, just a little, just a little, you know, a little something for us, a little something for the boys, a little nod to the man himself as he's having his recovery, something for everybody. And he's buried Roman and Seth over the course of one promo. And you've, t- you've got like all the storylines being serviced at the same time. Yeah, adore that. And uh for a show that had me cringing and rolling my eyes in parts, I came off the back of this going, SmackDown's back again, lads. It's it's <laughs> WWE puts on yet again. Uh, but again, it is in a limited capacity. But I'd love to know your thoughts on SmackDown. Do let us know on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at... The best match on Friday night was a promo. Uh, at Michael Hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me at Alan Wilborn if you want to get your hands uh, as Hamlet alluded to earlier by the way on Michael Sidgwick's book all about AEW or our recently updated 606 matches to see before you die they are available at whatculture.bigcartel.com uh, we'll be back later to preview Monday Night and me and Sid will be talking all about AEW Rampage as well but for now this has been the Smackdown Review my thanks to Michael Hamlet thank you for joining us and we will see you soon 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.